we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. True crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E. Solange Blay told me this story. We have a few things in common. Our sisters were murdered within months of each other in 1978. Les Blay in the summer in Montreal and Teresa in the fall in the eastern townships. Lisan was coming home late at night uh, through the back alley uh, to where her parents lived. And uh, when she got to the back of the house, she went through the back gate, uh, was within feet of her back door when she was attacked and murdered. people think with a brick. After the police processed the crime scene and left, Solange remembers watching her father wash the blood splatter off the back gate. Life isn't fair. This is who killed Teresa. Today's episode is sort of a funeral for a friend. Uh, Some months ago, I was contacted by a woman named Carol, and she said, uh, would you do a podcast on my best friend, Francine? She was murdered in the 80s in Montreal. And normally, I I don't do that. But Carol sent me um, 
what at that time was scant information. I think two postage stamp sized articles from the Montreal Gazette uh, from that period. There wasn't really much to go on. In fact, I didn't think I would have enough material to do an entire episode on Francine. Little did I know. (laughs) The more I, I learned, the more I was really touched by their story. So um, today we're going to talk about the 1985 murder of Francine de Silva. And for the most part, um, these are Carol's words. Uh, This is how the story was told to me by Carol. On Friday, October 18th, 1985, Francine da Silva was out with a close friend, Joanne Page, in the Plateau neighborhood of Montreal. The two women worked at a sushi bar on Saint-Laurent. They went to a club. Later, around 4 a.m., they found themselves at a 24-hour diner on Saint-Denis and Mount Royal. They walked home together down Saint-Denis and when they got to Duluth Street where Joanne lived she asked Francine if she wanted to stay over that night which Francine often did. Francine decided against it and headed home down Saint-Denis to Sherbrooke then across east along Sherbrooke to Saint-André, the street where she lived. The event would have happened between Duluth and Saint-André. At the corner of Sherbrooke and Saint-André, there is a back alley to the parking lot behind the apartments on Sherbrooke. Francine was either dragged down that alley or abducted in an automobile and driven there. Later that morning, two nursing students who lived in the back apartments found Francine's body in the alley behind 902 Sherbrooke Street East. She had been stabbed and raped. Her roommate, Carol, notes that Francine was four days away from her 30th birthday, and also that the Montreal police were on strike at that time, so they probably didn't work that weekend. Eventually, police did manage to investigate They found Francine's bus pass with her old address on it. They went to the apartment, and at this point, Carol's boyfriend was now living in that apartment. The boyfriend called Carol to say that the police were looking for Francine. 
Carol was listening to the radio when she heard the news that a woman had been stabbed in the plateau. Later that afternoon, two policemen showed up at Carol and Francine's apartment. They asked if Francine lived there. At this point, Carol says everything became a blur. The police said they found a body, stabbed, then asked Carol what Francine was wearing the last time she saw her. They asked if Francine had red boots. She did have red boots. Her pride and joy. When the police went upstairs to Francine's room, they found the boots missing, along with her favorite outfit. Police asked Carol to identify the body. Carol says she was in shock. They asked about family members. Her older brother, Gerald, lived in Montreal. They asked about Joanne Page. Police quickly left the interview to see Gerald and Joanne. They would not allow Carol to give them advanced warning. Carol says she felt like she had thrown them both under the bus. She wouldn't hear from the police again until 2001, when she began her own investigation of her friend's cold case. So, in 2001, Carol calls the Montreal police and asks about information on Francine's case. And at this time, she's thinking about new advances in forensic science. Eventually, um, she manages, uh, her and her her aunt, manage to meet with a sympathetic uh, Montreal detective, a guy named Michael uh, Hannington. And Hannington it becomes very interested in the case of Francine de Silva. Uh, he manages to find uh, lost DNA samples from the case. And then Hannington apparently is overjoyed because the samples had been misfiled for years. <laughs> it's, it's like the same story over and over again. It's giving me an ice cream headache. Anyway, so he finds this evidence and um, he reveals to Carol um, that Francine was found naked but she had her jumper and her jacket thrown over her. And uh, I'll just say that uh, he also reveals that she was brutally raped. Uh, he says she had been stabbed multiple times, but that this was holdback information, that the press were only told she was stabbed once. In a, a bizarre twist, uh, they find a potential link between Francine's case and the murder of a prominent Montreal criminal lawyer at that time. There's a note in Francine's file from apparently this respected um, police informant from the area suggesting that the October 15th, 1985 shooting of Frank Shufi was related to Francine's murder. And Francine was murdered just three days later. Shufi was gunned down in his law office late one night, which was just one block north of where Francine uh, was found. For affectionados of Montreal, Shufi is this larger-than-life guy. Um, 
he um, was somewhat controversial. He represented um, a lot of underworld figures. I can't myself really wrap my head around how these two crimes uh, could have been related. But nevertheless, this was the information that was was in the uh, in the file. At the time of her death, Francine was uh, a student at the University of Montreal, and she had just began uh, dating a guy named Dominique uh, Lanois, who was the lead guitarist for this up-and-coming Quebec band at the time called um, named uh, Bundock. Uh, Francine apparently really liked the rock and roll guys. Uh, for a time, she was going out with this other guy named Gordon Page, a uh, lighting tech who sometimes traveled on tour with April Wine. But uh, eventually Francine found it really difficult. Um, the roadie tales of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, so she decided to break up with this guy. And when she left Gordon, it was then that she decided to move in with Carol in the apartment on St. André Street. Uh, so you have these two single women in the heart of Montreal, Sometimes they'd go to the Zodiac bar in the nearby Voyager bus station. They'd like try every cocktail on the menu. Who, who hasn't done that? They went to the old Munich once. Uh, they didn't, uh, Carol says, they didn't notice that the neighborhood was particularly rough. But after Francine's death, police told uh, Carol that prostitutes would sometimes use the alley where Francine was found. Now, Carol says that uh, maybe if Francine had never left Gordon Page and moved into that apartment on St. Andre, um, Francine might still be alive today. A bed is nice they were all into Herman Hesse, Tolkien, Carl Jung. They read John Fowles' novels like The Magus. Um, Carol says the something that resonated uh, with her was an idea that I, I had suggested a while ago that the, the idea that the, at that time the choice of what gift to give someone was of the utmost importance you know and it it could either be a book or a record there weren't too many other things maybe a piece of jewelry um but um they would really spend like a lot of time figuring out what to give and of course, like all of us in that era, they'd share everything. Uh, property is theft, right? Share albums and books. And they were um, they were both obsessed with the Cocteau twins. Francine was was very French when Carol first met her. Uh, she didn't speak. Uh, English at all, but she learned it fast. When she decided to return to university to study linguistics, she became fascinated with Japanese and began studying it. Uh, she had started to write a book. 
Her brother Gerald made these handmade guitars and was an excellent musician. Francine and Gerald were very close. After Carol first contacted me, um, we began to do what I, what I would call my my fairly usual process of trolling uh, for more information. And um, as I said, in, in Francine da Silva's case, there, there wasn't much to go on. There was a small notice, um, the November 1st, 1985 Montreal Gazette mentions uh, that the coroner's inquest into da Silva's murder had been delayed. The coroner, uh, Roche uh, Herault, uh, who was the Montreal coroner at that time, postponed things at the request of, of the defense attorney representing a man named Raymond Charette, a 27-year-old man who at that time was being detained as what they called a material witness. Then on November 7th, 1985, there's, there's a second notice. The Gazette reports that Hero freed Charette due to insufficient evidence, but he was later rearrested by Montreal police moments before uh, being processed out and leaving the uh, Parthenay detention facility because it was discovered that he had been responsible for an alleged attack on another woman in the same neighborhood on the same night. Given this information of a possible suspect, um, we then made a, a formal request to Corrections Canada for any parole records of a, of a man named Raymond Charette. Um, we came up empty, um, which can, can mean a lot of things. It can mean uh, Charette was never incarcerated at the federal level, uh, that he was never convicted of a murder. Um, it, it can also mean that he um, he was there, but he, he died in prison a long, a long time ago. Carol managed to obtain Francine's coroner's report. And again, there, there wasn't much information there. However, it, it was confirmed that Francine lived at 1559 Saint-André, uh, that her body was found at 8 a.m. on the morning of October 18th, 1985, in an alley behind 910 uh, Rue Sherbrooke East at the bottom of a staircase. And it said Francine died of internal hemorrhaging to the heart and lungs and that she had been stabbed in the thorax and other areas. Uh, From here... I traveled to Montreal and I reviewed the Allo Police archives at the Bibliothèque Nationale de Quebec. I was I was going anyway on business, and I said to Carol, "I'll tell you what. I'll drop in and I'll I'll see if I can, um, you know, check through the microfiche and find anything." So I found two articles on Francine. The first dated November third, nineteen eighty five, from Allo Police. Uh, and it confirmed that the two nurses who discovered the body at the 
the foot of the backstairs apartments that they were the ones who found her. And uh, it's stated that uh, Francine was wearing the the red boots, uh, her pride and joy that were mentioned, and a chain around her neck. Uh, her clothing was dispersed uh, on the stairs, and the case uh, at that time was managed by Andre Charette, Andre Bison, Andre Savard, the three Andres, and uh, Jean-Louis Hellet. Um, the detectives had uh, the same thinking um, that that we had, that there were two versions of what could have happened to Francine. Uh, one, that she was abducted in a car, then dumped, or that she was uh, dragged into the alleyway. The second Allo police article, written by Jean-Pierre Rancourt, focused on the suspect, uh, Raymond Charette. We learn that uh, 28-year-old Charette, and yes, it is interesting to note that he shares the same last name as one of the investigating officers, Andre Charette. So this uh, Raymond Charette, he is a resident of Rosemount, uh, uh, and uh, he's detained for over a week by the coroner uh, until November 6th. Uh, on his arrest, his clothing has clear evidence of blood on it. And then we also, we learn about this second attack, the, the second victim of the attack on the same day as Francine. Uh, uh, she... Um, she doesn't want to be identified, but she tells police uh, she was waiting for a bus at Mount Royal. Recall that Francine was coming down uh, Mount Royal with uh, her friend uh, Joanne the night that uh, she, or the, the very early morning that she was murdered. So this this other anonymous uh, anonymous woman is waiting for a bus when she's forced into a vehicle by a man with a knife alleged to have been Charette. This second victim is unwilling to tell police the exact nature of her assault, but she does manage to reveal that she drove with him around the plateau, engaging in conversation to try and calm him down. Um, And Charette eventually lets her out of the vehicle. After Sherat uh, was picked up at the advice of his attorney, he refuses to take a polygraph or to provide a blood sample. Police scan the trash cans in the alley where De Silva was found looking for the knife that killed her, but they, they're unsuccessful. Eventually, Sherat is let go. Francine De Silva is forgotten. And the matter is never heard from again. If you're thinking this case sounds familiar, it should. I was having coffee with a colleague in Montreal, and I mentioned I was working on a case about a murder that occurred on uh, Rue uh, Saint-André. And they said, ah, uh, the Nicole Goudreau case. And I said, no, there was another. 
So recall the case. Goudreau was found naked on her back, her face bloodied. She was badly beaten about the head and raped. Police found a large amount of blood on the stairs of 2036 uh, Rue Saint-André, and it was assumed she was attacked at this location and that her body was dragged behind the apartments into the back alley. Uh, Her empty purse recovered a few feet away from the body. The cause of death was manual strangulation, cerebral contusions, and a skull fracture and hemorrhaging, which accounts for the large amount of blood on the stairs. Goudreau was wearing blue stockings, a pink blouse pulled up over her head, and a beige bra, which was detached. Found by the stairs of 2026 Saint-André were her black pants, red shoes, and her purse, which contained a dental prosthesis. It was thought that Goudreau either lived at 2030 Saint-André or that that was her intended uh, destination. So, back to Banque, uh, more searching through archives. In revisiting LO Police, we learned that Goudreau was from Chicoutimi. Uh, we don't know what she was doing in Montreal, or even if she lived at 2030 Saint-André. What we know is her murder occurred six years earlier, and halfway between where Francine de Silva lived at 1559 Saint-André and where she died behind in the alley of 910 Sherbrooke Street East. Goudreau um, says she's found in the alley uh, behind a huge rock that would have uh, blocked access to vehicles. Before Goudreau died, she had spent the evening at a bar called the Baltimore, which is at the corner of Saint-Hubert and Ontario. It's right in the vicinity, same locale. It's just up the street toward where De Silva was found. Police uh, at the in the era have two theories. In the first scenario, Goudreau leaves Baltimore in the company of a man. They plan to go back to her apartment. Before arriving at the door, the man makes inappropriate advances and he starts to rape her. Things escalate. She's dumped in the back alley. And that's it. In in the second scenario, uh, police believe that Goudreau leaves the Baltimore bar alone and she's accosted uh, along the way by, in the language of the era, a pervert. The anonymous phone call. When I originally reported this story, I mentioned that police received an anonymous phone call. Because of the 
vagueness of the source article, I always took this to mean that um, a bystander, a pedestrian, discovered the body of Nikki Goudreau in the alleyway and called it into the police. Not so. The um, a low police article that I discovered um, when I was in Montreal goes into greater detail. Uh, the caller states, I just killed a woman. You'll find it in the vacant lot of Rue Saint-André. So the killer not a bystander, made the anonymous call. Where have we heard that before? The case of Catherine Hawks. So now recall the, the case of Catherine Hawks. Uh, she's discovered near a commuter rail station in Montreal in the Cartierville area, September 21st, 1977. Hawks, too, was beaten violently about the head and raped, her clothing found near the body. The caller's first message, he actually called the police twice, was as follows. I attacked a woman at the corner of Bois-Franc and Henri Barassa in the bushes to the northwest side. Hurry, sir. I'm afraid she might die. Thank you. So. Is it possible that these three cases, one from 1977, Catherine Hawks, one from 1979, Nikki Goudreau, and finally the subject of today's podcast, Francine De Silva from 1985, is it possible they, they are all linked? Um, did a guy named Raymond Charette, uh, who, who had gotten away with murder before, continued to kill. And, and one of the reasons uh, he got away with it is because he was untouchable. Uh, he was related to an uh, uh, SPVM uh, police officer named Andre Charette. Is that, is that a possibility? Um, the, you know, the, the time span, 77 to 85, is troubling. It's an awful long time. Um, but uh, in, in even 79 to 85, six, seven, six or seven years is, but uh, the odds, I mean, the same street, uh, Rue Saint-André, uh, very s uh, similar uh, MO in, in the De Silva-Goudreau case. And then with Goudreau, you kind of go, yeah, but you got the same type of phone call as Catherine Hawks. I mean, all of these ideas are, tantalizing um, and ultimately frustrating because I don't, I don't know. Uh, and I, I don't think we'll ever know. And then even further, right, is it possible from our opening that the beating death of Les Anglais found in the back alley just north of uh, the Plateau region in 1978, is it, is it possible that that too is linked I um I don't think we'll ever know.
I'd be cheating you if I didn't tell you about something very bizarre that happened um, when I went to Montreal to research this story. As I said, I was going anyway. I was going on business. Um, so the the arrangements were m- made for me. Uh, I didn't choose my hotel. It was chosen for me. It was uh, an auberge du gouverneur in in the plateau. And um, so I flow, flew into Montreal and I there's an express bus you can take um, from the airport to downtown and it has one main stop, um, the Barry Yukon uh, um, terminus, metro terminus. So um, I get off at uh, Barry Yukon at this, it's a small park, it's called uh, Place Emile Gamelin. And um, I'm kind of I'm kind of amazed. I mean, I sort of knew this in advance, but I, I wasn't in actually getting there. It was very bizarre. So the uh, the bus lets you off on the um, the west side of the park, and immediately to the north side of the park, sitting right there, is the Bibliothèque Nationale du Québec, Barancue. And across the park, on the um, the east side, is where the Auberge du Gouverneur is, where I'm staying. And then to the south of the park is Archambault Music Store, where uh, I have a nephew who works there. And I was like, "Isn't this bizarre? It's like this tight, um, this tight little nexus of." things everything i need is is right there and uh i i knew that the events of uh, uh francine da silva had played out in this area but i didn't really know uh, how immediate the proximity was it, you know you know i went out that evening just to you know get something to eat and i was taking photos and i casually took a there was like a, a no-tell motel, uh, or, you know, one of those, those shady types of hotels with a neon sign, and it was quite striking. So I took a picture of it. Um, it wasn't until the next morning that I realized in the background of the photo was, uh, unbeknownst to me, was Francine and Carol's old apartment, 1559. I had just, uh, I wasn't looking for it. I just happened to take a a photo of it, um, and so um, one of the things I was doing I, um, in the course of my uh, my time there is I I took a lot of photos of both uh, crime scenes, both uh, Goudreau's and uh, and Francine's, both at day in the daytime and the nighttime, and I've posted those on the website if you want to go go and have a look, but. It was bizarre, you know, you know, like the next, um, well, even, even that evening, um, I had remarked on social media that I, I, I saw this pimp and his prostitute. I tried to take a photo of something and 
he got very, very angry at me and, and threatened to, to beat me. And uh, I had mentioned this on, on social media and Christian Gravner remarked, he said, a pimp? He's like, I haven't seen a pimp in Montreal since 2001. Was he, was he wearing a, a fuzzy coat, you know, like Huggy Bear or something? <laughs> um, no, he wasn't, but he, it was something out of, um, uh, out of time. He, he looked like a guy from this black guy in jeans and a jean jacket. And now he looked like something out of the eighties or nineties, but not now. And Christian's quite right. I, now that I think of it, I haven't seen a pimp in Montreal in years. What, what was that about? And then like the next morning I'm, I'm out, I went for a run along the uh, old port and I'm, and I'm walking up um, towards uh, along Barry Street, you know, towards this Place Emile Gamelin. I pass Archambault's um, and I look in this window and there's uh, Benoit Dutrezac, the, 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 the journalist who I had done an interview with like I think in in November and I, like what the hell is he doing there? Well, I didn't. It's his office, so I'm kind of <laughs> pounding on the window trying to get his attention. Um, he didn't. He didn't notice me. I was like, why? This is just bizarre. But the, the, the strangest thing. This is the strangest thing. So have a shower. Um, I'm waiting for the library to open. It opens it at ten. So between like um you know 9 30 and 10 i make my way up saint andre and i'm right in front of 910 sherbrooke street behind which is where uh, francine's body was found and i'm taking photos um you know Right on on Sherbrooke Street, which is a pretty busy street, a lot of cars. It must have looked like a this kind of crazy person. Um, and uh, so later in the day, I I get an email, and it's from Isabeau. <laughs> if you recall the podcast we did um, about the the uh, attack and rape survivor, Isabeau from uh, the. Um, Jean-Pierre area, um, she emails me and she said, were you standing on the corner of Saint-André and and uh, Sherbrooke at 9.30 this morning? I think I saw you. Now, this is so bizarre. Number one, I've never met Isabeau. She doesn't know what he, I, I look like. Um, I didn't even know she was in Montreal. So uh, I, I thought she was in Quebec City. So the very fact that this person I'd done a podcast about, you know, uh, uh, six or ten months ago, would would see me. I mean, she. no one knew I was, no one but Carol and my business associates knew I was going to be in Montreal. I didn't tell anyone. So it's. It's not like I tipped my hand. I didn't tell anyone. What are the chances that that Isabeau, who I still stay in contact with, would pick me out in, you know, a city of millions of people? Uh, <laughs> but she did. 
She did. It's very, very strange goings on at uh, Place Amile Gamelin in Montreal. I'll say that. And, and you know, kind of the icing on the t- cake is I'm, I'm earlier this week there was a there was an article about uh, um, the Marilyn. Uh, Bergeron case, Marilyn Bergeron, who's been missing for a, a decade. And it's a story about her, but her sister, Natalie, who's been interviewed on this on this podcast, there was a picture of, of Natalie handing out flyers. And she was standing at the corner of, of St. Catherine Streets in Barrie. She was right at was the picture. You could see Archambault in the background. She was standing at Place Emile Gamelin. And so I, I, I contacted her. I said, did when was that taken? She said, oh, it was taken 10 years ago. I said, why were you there? I thought, I thought Marilyn lived at, in uh, Auchalaga-Mazeneuve in the, um, uh, you know, when she disappeared. She, she said, oh, yeah, she did. But uh, I just like that area. Um, and there's a lot of people there. So I, I, I went there to hand out flyers. I mean, very, very strange, No. Very strange. That's our show for this week. This has been Who Killed Teresa? And I'm your host, John Allure. If you like the podcast, please talk it up, pay it forward. Tweet about it. Uh, I don't know. Tell your mom. Tell your kitties. Uh, as I said during the show, if um, uh, if you there are a lot of visuals for this episode, you can find them at the website teresalore.com. T h e r e s a a l l o r e dot com. Follow us on social media at. Um, Teresa Allure on Twitter uh, and there's a Facebook page called um, Teresa Allure the podcast you can follow along there as, as well so that's enough for today um, again I'm John Allure and have yourselves a great great day
Tom, I'm heading to Walmart because you know what season it is. Oh, is it pumpkin spice season? Uh, no, it's flu season, and Walmart gives flu shots. Yes, flu season is here, and we've got your back with flu shots where you already shop. Our expert pharmacy team administers each flu shot and can answer your vaccine questions. Stay safe this flu season. Stop by your local Walmart pharmacy and get your flu shot today. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.